Hi, Joe. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? I can. I have to get off the phone with Corey. One moment. Okay. Corey, I have to go. <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Comforter and counselor, administrator and teacher, spirit-led truth seeker, minister and janitor, prophet, preacher, servant. Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life in set-apart ministry. Each week, we sit down to talk about our experiences and challenges as pastors doing small-town ministry during uncertain times. Join us as we try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. So right now, what the Spirit is leading me towards is running for county commissioner so we can get some affordable housing so that people who are dealing with addiction problems aren't out on the street and freezing to death. So, yeah. Yeah, so I got to figure out, I got to figure out where I think I, my energies are best put right now and all that kind of stuff. So, and just like, I had a meeting with the, the food pantry board of directors Last night, I didn't know that I was the the chairman or the head of the board of directors or whatever it is. So I had to call the meeting. I was like, huh, the food pantry hasn't met the whole time that I've been here. And Pam was like, well, you're in charge of it. So and I was like, oh, OK. And so we're going to do a a food drive to help build up our our backup stock for the winter. And we're going to do a clothing drive for winter clothes and also clothes for migrant workers who are coming in to work on the Christmas tree farms. And we're also going to do a fun drive for Christmas gifts for families that can't afford it, working with the Department of Social Services, which Mm. is all stuff that my church has done in the past. But we've never announced them all at the same time, all on one Sunday. And it just and it just happens to be this Sunday because this is when I happen to learn about it. But we were sitting at the meeting and we were talking about all this, all the things that we were noticing that we that we need help with and how there are people who come to the food pantry for food and are like, oh, no, I can't take any of the meat. I can't take anything perishable. I'm living out of my car. Right. And the um, the lady who's really been like the the heart of the food pantry was like, and I just I can't stand it when that happens. Like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know who to refer them to. And that's been an ongoing conversation is people who need housing. So the housing in the area is all like vacation retirement housing. That's what's being built. And there's nothing for the people who are stuck here because the education system is so impoverished. Mm-hmm. So that's a like this is a political problem. Like we can we could get all the churches together in an ecumenical thing and we could build an emergency shelter, we could build transitional housing, like we could do all of that. Except for the fact that like 
the county can also do that and we can apply for funds from the state and we can apply for funds from the federal government and like if we get enough momentum behind it we could even get the the tribe to want to help us with it because the tribe is dealing with similar problems and honestly like 25 percent of the people who come to our food bank are native so there's there needs to be an, an amount of political will behind doing this. Otherwise, right. churches are just band-aiding the problem. You know, we're mm-hmm. just not fixing the actual root of the things. Like, we need to be thinking about what industry we can bring back. We need to be thinking about education. We need to be thinking about addiction as a public health crisis. And all of those things are things that we can advocate for from the church. But to get it done, we need somebody in office who's going to do it. Right. So, so either I'm going to run or we're going to find a good candidate and really campaign for them. That's that's amazing. That's yeah. awesome. Are you recording right now? I am. Okay, good. Because I, I want to say what you just said is really is, – is something that you said is something that I think the United Methodist Church as a denomination really needs to start considering getting involved in, and that is economic development. Yeah, because a lot of our, you know, Joe, you and I have churches that are in really similar towns. Yeah. You know, and and like there's really no scenario in which we can do our jobs effectively in the long term in the towns that we're in because the towns are dying. Right. And so if the town is dying, the church is dying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, Joe, if you get 100% of the people from your town in your church. It does not matter because your church would still be in decline. Right. Because the town's in decline. And so I think that if, if, if our denomination really wants to do something radical, that not only will improve the town, but, but also, you know, help us, you know, do our mission. Uh, it should really consider uh, bringing – working to establish businesses and invest in, in the economy of towns. So, I, Joe, I think that's awesome. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Th- thanks. Yeah, and I think you make a good point that we – for – and I don't know. I can't trace back the history of how long this has been the case. But I feel like I grew up in a church that was very compartmentalized. And was very much like the church is your one-stop shop for spiritual growth and, because of American civil religion, creating good citizens, right? It had a little box that it stayed in, and maybe it fed people, and maybe it helped out a little bit with with things. But it was basically like a Jesus-y Lions club, right? Like it wasn't – it was just a a staple in the society. And we have come to a place – with the church in the United States anyway, where if churches want to be vital, they're going to need to be much more plugged into the community and they're going to have to try to do it because nobody's coming to us anymore. They, well, I say that there are, you know, non-denominational churches and uh, all sorts of churches that are growing in different ways that aren't necessarily doing this kind of the outreach work that we're talking about. But I think that like mainline Protestant churches, churches that were built to be community churches in the first place, I think Mm -hmm. these churches are going to have to do a lot more reaching out to the community in order to to be relevant in any way, shape or form. I agree. And and just, you know, in terms of those non-denominational churches, what 
you know, scholars and people who are studying them are seeing is that even those non-denominational churches that are growing are not really growing in, in the sense that they're producing new Christians. You know, they're growing in the sense that, that, uh, they're trading with the same group of church people as, as we all do. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. so so even those non-denominational churches that grow are 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 it's more that they have a better mousetrap. Who? Yeah. You, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's more like that um, rather than, uh, wow, things are really alive and 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 we're reaching new people and stuff like that. Not not so much. Maybe sometimes, but 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 ultimately not so much. Yeah, because there's only a certain percentage of the population that is inclined to seek a God like the non-denominational churches in general are going to proclaim. Right. And yeah, and then you're just stealing those people from other churches who whose God differs a little bit from that. But I yeah. think like if we're going to reach unchurched people... We're going to do it by being the hands and feet of Christ in our community. And that means being involved in the community. And that means caring about the community. I agree. And that means a whole range of things, but like economic development is a part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. That's a, that's amazing, Joe. That's, um, well, I'll vote for you. No, oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Absentee ballot. Cool. So do we have a topic that we want to talk about today? I figure – so actually I have a question for you. Okay. That could become a topic if you're interested. Yeah. What would be your ideal kind of church? If you could kind of transform something about – and this this can be – you can use your church as an example. But like if you could transform something about church um, or the church that you pastor at, what would that be? Say that last sentence one more time. If you could transform something about church or the church that you pastor at, what would that be? Hmm. I could fix any one thing about the church. I think it would be getting rid of that theology that that God sends bad things to you and God tests you and that like God is the God has a plan and sends you terrible, horrible tragedies as a part of God's plan. Like mm. I would just, I would reach into people's brains and take that idea out and we would start over. Cause there's a lot of, um, a lot of victim blaming that happens with that of, um, like there's there's a man in my congregation who has cancer that probably comes from the cigarettes that he smoked his entire life. And they saw him at the grocery store, like load some groceries into the car, need to take a smoke break and then load the rest of the groceries in the car while he's also on oxygen. Right. So he has to like take out his oxygen to have a smoke. And they're, they're just like there's the clicking of the tongues and the shaking of the head and being like. You know, if he would just, and I, which like I get, right? Like the man has cancer. Maybe cigarettes are not the best thing for him. But also like people smoke every single day of their lives and don't get cancer. It's, it's not a definitive thing. And it's not a far step from he has cancer because he smoked to he's an alcoholic because he's a bad person to she's addicted to drugs because she has a moral failing. You know, right. and these are all people who 
guy, like, it's, it's so complicated how somebody gets caught in addiction of one kind or another. And I know that a lot of people think it's straightforward, but one person can have a cigarette and never want another one. And one person can have a cigarette and smoke for the rest of their life. And one mm-hmm. person can have a beer and be done for the evening. And another person can have a beer and need to drink until they pass out. You know, it's just... We're set up differently, and that doesn't mean anything about God's intention for each one of us. So I think that if we could get rid of that pervasive thought, then we would be much more willing to be much more gracious to people who really need us. Right. You know, I see what you mean by that, for sure. So, you know, the the idea – obviously, I agree with you about that notion that God kind of – um, pulls levers <laughs> that of uh, you know of each of our individual lives and sends us calamity for mm-hmm. a purpose. I obviously I agree with you. I think I think that that's incorrect, but uh, I I see your connection that perhaps uh, if we believe that God does this to people, we might be less inclined to aid somebody because this is just the Lord's will. It's just it's just how it works or we might be less inclined to show grace or, you know, like you said, it, with this with the story you just said, you know, the clicking of the tongue. We, we might be if, if we see it uh, maybe even as a moral failure, then it becomes maybe they deserve this kind of stuff. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. And I'm sure that like they're like there are other just very practical things that I would if I can wave a magic wand and have my church do them, then that would be good. Like if I could wave a magic wand right now and have a fully formed tutoring after school program that my church fosters that gets us to connect generations and actually serves the kids in the community and is helping us combat generational poverty while also making my church, you know, more involved in the community, I would wave that wand like there's that but i think yeah i think if i could fix one if i only had one thing to fix i might fix that theology because i think that that would then open a whole lot of doors right that people don't even know are are closed but i would also like refurbish the upper floor we don't have we have sunday school classrooms up there but we don't use that anymore but it used to be the (laughs) the pastor's housing it used to be an apartment up there so it's got all the plugins that it needs Mm -hmm. and so like if we could turn that into uh either a temporary shelter or into a recovery space like i would do that in a heartbeat too Hmm. that's tricky because you need to also have somebody who monitors that space and you need to because because people are dealing with housing. Some people are just dealing with housing crises because, like, they don't earn a living wage because America. But some people are dealing with housing issues because they have burnt every bridge because addiction causes you to burn bridges. And so in that case, then you need to have rules and you need to have structure and and all those kind of things. So I don't know. Every every program that I want to set up is tricky, but like that. Yeah. But that means we're doing the right work, right? If it was easy, somebody would already be doing it. Hmm. True. True. Yeah, I, I think that um, I like that. I think that I would probably kind of all the way around. I think that if I could kind of change something about maybe the church I'm serving, 
it would be to to get folks to see that the job of the church is not to is not first and foremost to care about the people that are already here at church hmm. is to just try to help i mean it's not that that's not you know there you know it's not that it's not a part of what we do we care we try to care about all people but like uh basically a change an orientation where where folks kind of see that that really we're supposed to be oriented towards folks that are that are not on the inside if you will you know yeah. folks that are not just vulnerable folks but but folks that are not uh, a part of what we're doing you know or who who might not know Jesus or who you know or maybe they do maybe they do know Jesus but but who don't have a community you know or or don't have something they're a part of that we're we're up to I think for a lot of folks at the church I'm at, that's not that's kind of, that's not really the natural inclination that they have. Now I can give an example that that was some that happened somewhat recently. So we had trick or treating in our community a couple of I guess last week, and since at least since I've been here, uh, every time we do trick or treating, every time trick or treating happens. Uh, I have a leader in my church uh, who does stuff with the youth who um, puts together a uh, a thing with, with the young people of the church where they uh, hand out donuts and apple cider at like the corner of Main Street because we're right on Main Street hmm. to these trick-or-treaters, you know, and I just yeah. think it's I just think it's great. I think it's I was like, wow, what a great idea. You know, that's that's. My first year, that's what I told this. I told her, I was like, wow, what a great idea. That's, that's a really great thing. And so like the last couple of years, I've come out in my Halloween costume and so did, you know, Beth and Adrea and, and we're, we're there and we, we talk to young people and their families and it's really, really great. I love it. Um, so this last week when trick or treating happened, I had to go – I had to walk down the street to get to the dollar store or something, and uh, some families in the community stopped me, and they were like, hey, pastor. I'm like, oh, hi. Um, Trick-or-treating is happening in like an hour, and I'm like, yeah. Uh, where are the folks who are setting up for donuts and apple cider? And I kind of looked over at the corner, and, and it occurred to me. That not only was nobody there, but like I hadn't talked to my leader about it. Like my leader hadn't talked to me about it. Like it occurred to me that that we just hadn't discussed it. Uh, and usually, like she will. And so I was like, um, you know, I don't know. I I I can't believe we wouldn't have it. And so I called her, my leader, and I and I got her voicemail, and I was like, hey. Um, hope everything's okay. I just had a couple of folks in the community ask me if, if we were doing donuts and cider again for trick or treating, and I told them yes, you know, because why wouldn't we? But uh, let me know. And a couple minutes later, she sent me a text. She said, "Sorry, uh, can't do it this year. I'm not around, but don't worry." I've already told our youth that it was canceled. Uh, now, now, Joe, you and I both know 
it's because of your your O, that I don't give a crap if the youth of our church know it was canceled or not. Right. <laughs> That's not why we do it. <laughs> you know? And I realized that my leader thought of this as a insul- insular youth event. Hmm. Like that's how she understood this thing we did every trick or treat that night. Yeah. Was well, this is an event that is primarily for the young people of our church. Uh, but it's a community. They they planned a community thing for the youth. I guess I guess they planned it for the youth to do. I oh, this blows my mind. Yeah, it's crazy. And so I sent her a text message back and I said, uh, you and I need to have a conversation on Sunday. Oof. And uh, uh, she called me Sunday morning because she wasn't in town because she was still out of town. And she said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I forgot to tell you. You know, I just it slipped my mind. And uh, we uh, I decided about a month ago that we were going to cancel it. And so I, I kind of told everybody it slipped and, her and, mind for a month. And, and I and I just didn't tell you. And 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 then she kind of went on to talk about something else. And and I interrupted her and, and I said, um, you know, I, I'm not I really don't want to make you feel bad. Because she she's she's out of town with her family like she and so I was like, I am not about making you feel bad for being out of town with your family. You should be with your family. That's a good thing. And it is not your responsibility to do this event. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but I said. This uh, is unacceptable. It's unacceptable that we've built up goodwill with the community only to just have it fall apart one year because we just sort of decided without telling me that you weren't going to do this. Because this is, and I told her, I was like, this isn't a youth event. This is a community event. Right. Because it's about the community. Um, and so I don't really care. And I told her, I, this is what I said to her. I was like, I don't really care that you informed our youth. That they shouldn't come to the church today, you know, because we weren't doing it. That that's silly. That's really silly. And I told her, I was like, all you had to do is tell me last month. That's all you had to do, and I would have done it. I would have set up donuts. I'd have set up cider, and I'd have done the event. But instead, nothing happened, and now uh, it's over. And she got she was she did not feel good like she she was really apologetic after I tried to help her see like how this is a problem. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, that that story has been kind of. I think is really indicative of, of like an attitude that I that if I could, I would change. I would just change unilaterally like the thing the the programming and events we do are not for the people who are a part of our church. Right. And so I don't actually care that you sent a text message to this the 10 youth that that are a part of our church to tell them, you know, to inform them, no, we're not doing it. That's not what matters. This is a community event. And I had and I embarrassed myself in front of these families where I lied to them. Right. And I didn't realize I lied to them. 
Yeah, I think there's there's a fair amount to unpack in that because I do think I think you're right in diagnosing that the root of it is that it was an internally focused instead of outwardly focused event when it was a clear like when it was intended at least on paper to be an outreach event but the the concept of what outreach is is not is not reaching everybody in the church and I think that the church doesn't understand that you have to build up goodwill with the community I think they think that that's a given I like I think that many churches in communities, especially churches that are on Main Street. I mean, my church used to be on the Main Street until they built the highway. They think that we're a church. People know that we do good stuff and people will be forgiving of us if we don't show up to something every once in a while. But they don't understand that we are in a different day and time and you have to do that work. Mm-hmm. And then I think the communication is the other piece of it. And I, sure, it's fine if it slips your mind one time to not tell the pastor about something. But for a whole month, there is something either she intentionally didn't tell you because she was like ashamed of not being in town for it or she didn't want to like make the plans while she was already planning other things or like it's a or there's there's something else happening there where she like unintentionally in the back of her brain forgot it because she didn't want to be letting people down or or she just didn't think that you needed to know and so that's why she forgot it because she was just going to mention it in passing anyway and it didn't make a difference and that's that's another piece of the puzzle that I'm struggling with at my church is that there are things that are supposed to happen that people just assume that I know and I have no way of knowing because nobody's told me because the previous pastor was there for so long that the previous pastor did just know things and did just get things done. And so it's a, it's, it's, it requires another layer of, of work to communicate because communication is also work. So yeah. And then the, the part of it that really sticks with me is that you felt embarrassed in front of these community members because you didn't know what was going on. And yeah. I think that the um, that's well, that's where communication comes back in because if it had been well communicated, then either you would have done it yourself or you would have been able to say, oh, the person who runs it isn't here this year, but we'll be back next year or something like that. Mm-hmm. But because you didn't know and because you are a presence in the community, now the community is going to view the event differently. Right. But I I also wonder if we as young pastors with a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of ideas place too much stress on things like this, like maybe, maybe next year it'll happen again and the community will be like, Oh, it was just one year that they missed or whatever. Like maybe the community is more forgiving than we think it is. Or maybe we're just, there's a person who comes to lectionary group who was very concerned about the fact that we don't have enough emergency shelter and the state's not doing it. So we need to be doing it right. Like the County isn't building any shelters. So like we as churches, we have to deal with this housing crisis and we have spent the, the other clergy in the group have spent a lot of time talking them down and being like, you know, we have to build these things up and it takes time. And I know you think that you can just throw some mattresses on the gym floor and, and call it good, but that's really going to create 
distrust between the church and the community if it's not handled right and that causing that wound is going to make it harder to do it in the future yeah and so it's it's mitigating all these different concerns all at one time when like what i really want to do right is turn the upper floor of my entire church into an emergency shelter like we can fit 15 beds in there if we do it right and that's 15 people who aren't out in freezing cold Right. And so it's balancing that that deep drive to be doing something and to be helping in some way, shape and form, because we see how much the church is dying, but also being able to get the support from our members that we need and also parlay that support from our members into support within the community, right? Like we need our members to also be doing the work that we're doing. We also need them to be out there meeting people and like, damn, invite one friend to church every once in a while, you know, like I, yeah, there's a, the tension that I'm picking up on in the whole conversation, like the deeper thing is that church for a lot of people who are still in church, who have kind of endured this mass exodus from church over this, this previous generation are people who have found a home in church who mm -hmm. like church is a part of their life and this is their group and these are their people and they in a in a almost survival sense need church to still be that right they don't want other people in they want their people because church is where they see their people it's a place of comfort it's a place where they feel like they belong it's a place where they feel like they have some some sense of authority some sense of being in charge or in control of things it's a place where they get a, a spiritual connection or at least like feel good feelings that they think are a spiritual connection like it's an important thing for us to have this internal dynamic but at the same time if our internal dynamic is actually falling after christ our internal dynamic should also cause us to reach out and cause us to be among other people and that we are that might be the piece that we're missing is that in our internal dynamic we are survival focused and we don't feel that we have the resources to be outwardly focused but if we're if we're doing this right then we're going to be the body of christ for the world and those things just automatically go together right and i think that I, again, I don't want to blame like a generation of pastors before me because I'm sure that they were doing the best that they knew how to do. But I think that I don't. I mean, this is the millennial in me coming out. But I think that times have changed so drastically that we can't just focus on getting people to like. Oh, I don't even know. I don't remember. Like, I cannot point to a single sermon over the course of my life that I was like, this sermon caused me to grow spiritually, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. everything happened in small groups and Bible studies where I got to ask questions and kind of form my own faith and, and do these kind of things. And the part of me that I find to be most like Christ is the part of me that does not judge other people and the part of me that where, where my heart breaks when I see other people in pain and that desire to, to reach out to them and to do things. And that I know that was fostered in me by the church, but it wasn't, I wasn't fostered by any pastor at any point in time. I got it from reading the gospels for myself. Right. So I think that we're in a place where 
we have to shift the entire culture of the church if the church is going to continue in in anything like its current shape and form. Otherwise, we may as close may as well close our doors and turn every church building into a shelter for those who need it because that's the that's the best way to serve the people that Jesus calls us to serve. Right. Yeah. I think that your your uh identification of the fact that some of these sort of traditional ways uh of of doing church at least traditional for our grandparents you know mm-hmm. tr- what does traditional mean well traditional means for me it means you know the eucharist and and good liturgy but that's never what traditional means for our grandparents right <laughs> traditional for our grandparents means any hymn that was written in the 30s right and, and potlucks and potlucks you know which is not what, what we think but like i think that you're you identifying that a lot of sort of these traditional elements of church that that have never really done it for you anyway um like you know a, a good sermon has never edified me but i mean that like like yeah. or or um potlucks don't draw me closer to the spirit or um Church pageants don't uh, don't don't fill me up and 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 help me see redemption. Like none of that. That's just not how it works. Right. Those are all uh, things to do, but they're not anything that's leading me to Christ. Right. Right. No, I that's I think you're right. And I think that for any of our listeners who are closer in our age, who who might be you know who might be listening to us on a whim or who might be curious about what it is that millennial pastors do like this is the kind of stuff that like we're kind of up against a lot like one of the things that that i do and i'm sure joe you do as well is we kind of have to occupy this odd space where we are the only millennials on planet earth who who are like doing this right you know what i mean (laughs) like where we're like okay well even though i don't like church pageants here I am, you know, like, like here I am doing it, you know, or, or even though I, uh, I don't really get a whole lot out of the old rugged cross. I am sitting in the front singing as loud as I can, the old rugged cross, um, because somebody's got to, and, uh, it makes these, these folks behind me happy, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things that I, I'm always hoping for and and we and I said this we we talked about this off and on is it would be wonderful to have folks closer to our age be more involved in church and 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 to be connected the problem is is that they're not connected and and it and we're often the only people trying to connect with them right because if folks closer to our age were more connected that we would see that the church would just would really change yeah. In a lot of ways, you know, and, and, and it's funny because it's really that simple. I think I've said – I think we've said this on, on the podcast once, but like sometimes I'm in like an ad council meeting or, or and somebody says, Pastor, I just don't know how to fix stuff. You know, how do you fix stuff? It's a mystery. And and I go, no, it's not. It's not a mystery. Right. <laughs> I know how to fix stuff. It's just nobody's doing it. Nobody's listening. You know, nobody's listening to me and 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 working to fix it. So, listeners, if you are a millennial or 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 a Gen Xer or a Gen Z or whatever, and you've thought to yourself, "Man, I wish the church was different," I will help you 
make the church different. Amen. All you have to do is make the church different. Like right. all you have to do is show up. It's actually – I mean and don't get me wrong. I'm not laying it on you guys who are listening. Like this isn't your fault that the church sucks. You know, Absolutely. it's it's really not. But like this is one way we can – you know, that, that it can be fixed. You show up and you say, I want to do this. I um, I <laughs> had this realization uh, with uh, Corey. Uh, I was talking to Corey a couple months ago and – uh, I guess Corey was in a – it came out of this meeting Corey was having with his DS, and um, uh, he – we kind of just started talking about how – what would ever ha- – what would happen if our DSs like yelled at us, like like really reprimanded us for stuff that like wasn't like bad stuff we were doing. Like that's one thing. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're screwing up. You got to be better. But like talk to us the way some of our older congregants talk to us. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and Corey's like, "What would you do?" And I'm like, "I would quit right there on the spot." Yeah. I I I would walk out uh, after I say, "Well, I quit," and then they go, "You can't quit." And then I go, "Well, I just quit." And so now that I am a layperson in the United Methodist Church, and you are my <laughs> district superintendent, now you have to listen to everything that I'm about to say. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> 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 And, yeah. and and then I would lay into them, and then you know what I'd do? I'd promptly join the church that I was the pastor at. Because what are they going to do? Yeah. You can't join this church. Yes, I can. <laughs> right, right. Because we're not we're not going to refuse anybody membership. Yeah, and then I'd be a millennial who's joined the church, and then I'd do whatever I want. <laughs> right. You yeah, know? yeah, and I. So what I'm what I'm realizing as we talk about this is that the same the same drive I have to want to run for office is the same drive behind me wanting to get ordained is that I'm seeing I I am stuck in this point of view where I think that if you're in charge, you can actually change something or if you're in charge, you can inspire people to like follow behind you and do things. But that is not necessarily and I should know this from being at my church is that that's not necessarily the case you can have every great idea in the world but if your people don't want to follow you it don't matter none so yeah because because we use the language of like just show up which is very much like go vote you know like don't boo vote and I yeah there's so I was talking to my therapist last week, week before last, um, and we were talking about the prevalence of existential dread among millennials, mm-hmm. where it's it's worse than ever because, well, because the world is burning, like literally burning, and the economy is doing great for billionaires, but like the rest of us are struggling to pay rent, you know, like there's, there's real reasons for why there's this existential dread among millennials. That wasn't there for previous generations. Like they had the Cold War and knew that they could have a, a nuclear attack at any time. And I guess that got to some people. But they previous generations had so much extra mental space to deal with everything in the world that they could just, you know, 
stuff down emotions if they needed to, or they could just distract themselves with hobbies and things, and and they were guaranteed to have a greater or higher income than than their parents did. And we right. just don't have that. And so a lot of our capacity is taken up with this this dread that can turn into apathy or can turn into a whole host of things. And it takes a lot of encouragement to get us to do things because we think we're screwed from the beginning. And so like, that's why like millennials left the church because it's just easier to not be in the church and they have the entire internet and they can form their own spiritual communities if they want to. They don't have to put up with the church's mess. And and we felt that way about politics until the 2016 election. So I think that in order to reclaim these systems, in order to to deal with these systems that have completely failed us, we have two options. We can burn it all down to the ground or we can get in it and try to fix it. And I think we're both on the side of getting in it and trying to fix it while also deep in our spirits wanting to burn it down. Oh, man, it would feel so good if it burned to the ground. Right. <laughs> it would. It would. <laughs> My partner says that if you do it as an act of worship, then you're in the clear. It's not arson. That's true. So I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Thrower. I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Yeah, yeah. It was an act of worship. I'm like, I need to see the legal code that you're pulling this from. But he says it frequently. Anytime I'm frustrated, he's like, you know what you could do? And I'm like, I'm not putting a flamethrower in the processional. For the you last could. time. You could. I I mean, what what is uh, Peter Rollins, the, the, the charlatan? I call him the charlatan. Peter <laughs> Rollins is a charlatan. Just want to throw that out there. But Peter Rollins, uh, Peter Rollins says that he's like the only church that's ever, that's ever lit up the nations is a church on fire. <laughs> uh, boo. Boo. Peter <laughs> Rollins, you're lazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. Fair. It is a little bit lazy. But, uh, but no, I get it. Yeah, I, I I think about that a lot, Joe. I think uh, everything you're saying, you know, I experience the same existential dread that you do, and 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 the same, you know, well, I guess I could just kill myself, <laughs> you know, kind of thing, where where then it'll be over and I don't have to worry about it. But like, I do think that perhaps the biggest issue that at least I'll just speak to the church for now that the church is experiencing is is just you know, folks aren't prepared to come in and kind of take over. And that's actually really what needs to happen, particularly in the Methodist Church. In the Methodist Church, you know, the pastors don't really have that ability. Right. We're not not really. I mean, I guess some do, some think they do, and then they alienate everybody and it's terrible. But like were I a layperson, you know what I'd do if I were a layperson? I'd uh well other than do whatever I want, I, I would I would just I'd start a Bible study. I'd be like, hey, we're going to do a Bible study. It's going to be a Bible study my way. And I'm going to bring in a ton of crazy people from outside who are my age, and we're going to have it in here. But no, I'm not inviting any of you people. You know? Right. <laughs> I'm going outside and inviting all them, and we're just going to have it in the church. Well, you can't do that. Well, actually, yes, I can because I'm a member here, and I know the combo to get in the church. And so I'm going to go, and I'm going to put that on the calendar. Uh, well, did you talk to the pastor? I really don't see why I need to. But I don't like. Well, I, don't, I don't need to. You know, I'm just doing it. It's my church. I do what I want. Um, and it's you know, and that's is that flippant and rude? Yeah, but it actually needs to happen. Yeah. You know what or I mean? Or like but, have like, a pastor who's going to support you when you do this. You know, that's the other. That's, the that, other that's also part of it, I guess. But 
but yeah, listeners who are uh, in the young adult variety, that's really all you need to do. You just need to show up and say, well, I'd like to do this. Because even if people say no, you're just going to do it anyway. Because there's no way to police that. Yeah. So. So uh, since we're on the side of coming into the church to try to fix it rather than burning it down, there must be something that gives us hope or something that encourages us. Because otherwise we would just burn it down or we'd just leave. So what is it about your church or the United Methodist Church or Methodism or or any piece of it that makes you want to stay? Like what gives you hope? What keeps you here? I like, Joe, how as you were saying it, you had to keep yourself from just laughing sarcastically. Like, God. The United <laughs> is, is, there, is there even an answer to this question? <laughs> No, it's just that we all know the UMC is a a wreck right now. So, like, what gives you confidence about this? And I'm like, maybe that we can split and make a liberal denomination. I ain't know. Exactly. Exactly. Why? My greatest hope is that one day Maxie Dunham will die. (laughs) That's my greatest hope. No, no, that's not true. Maxie, if you're listening, talk to your great-grandson. Have him turn off your computer. Uh, Anyway, um... Uh, yeah, I can answer this question. I can, because I, I happen to deeply love the local church because I believe in the local church's power to do some really good work. I think that one of the things that gives me hope about, um, the church that I'm at is, um, we, even though we might not know how, even though it, it, it's terrifies us and we're not really sure what we think about it. My church here really does want a new thing to happen. Mm. They do. Even if that, even if for some of them it's just so that the 70s can come back, you know, and some of them that's the case. But, but like the folks that are here really do believe in a new thing that can take place. They do. And they believe that, uh, it can happen here and it can, and it can, be good and 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 that's that's a powerful thing because not every church is like that and i'm very proud to be the pastor at a church that that you know even though it's not perfect even though there are a lot of times where i shake my head and i go man this is just unhelpful it's still there it's still a part of it's still built into our dna mm-hmm. and so that gives me hope what about you, Joe? Um, it's a really similar thing is that um, that we are kind of ever hopeful for renewal and resurrection. And that I mean, that really is just baked into our theology as Christians to like our the fundamental event of our faith is the resurrection. Yeah, I, I mean, I just have so many people at my church that are are personally so invested in the community and have such a desire to care for people that that it's astounding to me that they haven't already done all the things that I want to do and that there's willpower behind it. And somehow also with that willpower comes the money that we need for it. Um, Look, I think, I think that we do really have good people who have hearts in the right place. And I think that it's just a matter of going from, 
okay, we know what we want. How do we do it in the best way possible? And how do we get other people to join us in doing it? Like, I, for all that I have a couple of members who drive me nuts, that there's a majority of members who are really proud of the work that the church does and wants to keep doing it. And so I don't, there's a, it's almost that I don't have to shift the culture of the church so much as I, I need to, other than shifting it to where we do more partnerships instead of trying to do it on our own. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I just think that, and this is the thing that keeps me in the ordination process is that we already have all of this infrastructure, right? We already have all these buildings. We already have all these connections set in place. We already have all these people who are running all these things. We already have, we already have healthcare and pensions set up for people running these churches. And if we can use this infrastructure actually for the glory of God instead of the glory of the United Methodist Church, we could change America. Like we could genuinely change how our communities function and we could fight the isolation that we're dealing with culturally right now. And we could struggle against hate and we could do a whole lot of good in the world if we were able to use this infrastructure in in the best way possible. Yeah. And so that's what keeps me here is I hold out hope that like there was something good in this plan from the beginning and we've just kind of wandered. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you, you are just so much more hopeful than I am. How is that possible, Joe? (laughs) How is it? uh, It must be. I was going to (laughs) say it's it's drugs. They're working so well. (laughs) Right. I, I, on the other hand, am sitting around like, gosh, uh, maybe this is terrible. But no, I, mean, I also maybe it is, right? Maybe like, it maybe is. I'm maybe totally it is. Totally wrong. I uh, and I think we'll find out. Well, we might not find out next year. We might kick the kick it down the road again, like they keep on doing with Brexit. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. It'll be good. Remember, I, I mean, the United Methodist Church. Nobody, nobody really wants it to end, except for me. <laughs> and the Wesley Covenant Association. Well, yeah, that's true. Let's, oh boy, oh boy, those poor brainwashed people. <laughs> they are, their relationship with the dark one. Well, I mean, when, when Satan lives in your heart. Are you still there? There. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, it just, it trailed off when he said, when Satan lives in your heart, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Satan was like, you called? I'm here. I'm ready. You called? I'm here. I'm Satan. Because that's what Satan sounds like. I think that's true. Judging by all of my viewings of Hocus Pocus, I think Satan sounds like that. Oh, yeah. Good call. Good call. (laughs) Hang on. It's like, Master, will thou dance with me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a terrible classic movie. Oh, my. Well, Joe, this has been really good. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that we can talk about all this. But friends, uh, thank you for listening. This has been What the Hell is a Pastor. We are Ethan and Joe, and we will see you next time. I have good taste in people. Well, you like Matthew Broderick. (laughs) 